Hey everybody, it's Danny. I want to say thank you for tuning in to the Heartway Podcast. And I want to give a special thanks to those of you who are tuning in from really all over the world. We're so grateful that you are a part of our community and that you listen in on an ongoing basis. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, I want to ask you to share this with a friend. You never know the impact that one of these messages can have in another person's life. And if you yourself have been impacted and you'd like to continue to partner with us to keep this work going, Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope everyone is feeling well. I'm very excited to be back. I was gone for a little bit. Talon and I were traveling. We were very blessed to be able to see another part of the world. And it had me thinking so much, um, having so many moments of gratitude to be able to just see and experience something that a lot of people don't get to do and don't get to experience. Uh, And then yesterday we went to a funeral and then it was just like such a shift of like different emotions, but at the same time it's all the same because That's what life is, right? We start and then we end and it's circular and we continue. And it made me really think about that a lot of us don't really dream. And for me, one of my greatest dreams or biggest dreams is to travel, is for me to see everything and eat everything and just enjoy life in that kind of a way. But Maybe your dream is to start a business or maybe your dream is to finally ask out that person that you like or whatever it might be, you know, or to dig deeper within yourself. We all have dreams, you know, and it doesn't make you a less servant of God to have desires and dreams and wants, right? God wants that for you too. But unfortunately, it's our mind that causes us to think that we're not deserving of those wants, right, of those dreams. And the truth is, we're all here on borrowed time. We're not all gonna be here tomorrow, possibly, or the day after, not trying to be negative, but we just don't know. And we always think, oh, we have the next day to hug somebody or tell them I love them, or to go on that trip, to spend the extra money and go do something big. But, you know, you just never really know. And then I started to think a lot about centering prayer because I feel that now it's not only just something that I have to sit and do. Now I can sit in Italy and enjoy my pizza and I'm experiencing a moment of centering prayer because I can feel God's love and his gratitude, all of his essence within me. And the reason I bring that up is because the mind is always gonna cause limitations to make you think possibly, like I said, you're not serving of certain, uh, deserving of certain things. But when we sit in our centering prayer and we really meditate, God never whispers those words to you. God never makes you feel unworthy of what you want and what you desire. God wants you to have all of it. So I want us today in this centering prayer to take a moment to really let go of all of our limiting beliefs and allow God to speak into our souls and to just dream and dream very, very big. 
Open up your mind, open up your heart, and see what comes up. Amen. Are you guys still here with me? Yeah? <laughs> okay. Oh, good. So let's all have a nice seated position, tall spine. And as we close our eyes, we start to deepen our breath. You start to allow the shoulders to come down. You allow the belly to expand as you inhale. And you allow the belly to go inwards as you exhale. As we release all the tensions within the mind and the body, we welcome all of God's grace, all of his abundant power and energy. And we release all of those limiting beliefs. And we welcome an opportunity to see more, to want and believe that we deserve more, that we can have all that we desire. We release any feeling of shame. We release any disappointment. We let go of our lower negative vibration and we welcome God's love and his light. And we allow each breath to expand our being and our mind to understand that we can tap in to God's consciousness, to his power, that we can manifest with him anything that we desire. We release any thoughts that we are limited. We release the fear of the unknown and we welcome with trust and faith, God's support, his guidance, and his divine timing. As we allow ourselves to sink deep into the knowing, into the truth within ourselves, into the love and the abundance that is God, We take time to connect with our deepest self. We go deep within the world within us. The one that lives inside of our souls and not our minds. The one that is divinely connected to our highest power to the God that lives within each and every one of us and that is also all around us.
you are more powerful than you know. You are worthy. You are loved. You were created with so much purpose. The God of this universe did not play small when he created you. So don't think small of yourself. You are infinite, my friends. You are boundless. For you are a child of God, a child of light, a child of love. Let's take a deep inhale, really fill up the belly, and then slow exhale. Bring your left hand to your heart and your right hand on your belly. You feel your heart beating, you're alive full of so much purpose. Now let's feel the life within us, our breath. Inhale, expand the belly nice and big. And then vocal. Inhale, big belly. Vocal. One more time, inhale nice and big. Hold the breath for three, two, and vocally exhale. Allow yourself to sit in this peace. Remind yourself that this is your true state of being. It was not found because you were here today, but rather because you went deep within yourself this peace is inherently yours and always available for you at any time. So if you feel disconnected from God, remind yourself that you are one with Him. You are never forgotten. You are never too far away. But you just have to sit and connect for it is us that distance ourselves and God never leaves. Take your time as you gently bring yourself back, slowly blinking the eyes open, releasing your hands. May peace and love always be with you. Amen, my friends. Good morning, y'all. <laughs> Ecstatic to be here with you guys today. Danny, appreciate you, bro. Can we give it up for Danny real quick? I'm a firm believer that we shouldn't wait till people pass away to give them their flowers. And that is someone that I have to acknowledge influences and touches people and 
ways that are incredibly inspiring. So love you, bro. I, don't worry, we be ranking each other all the rest of the day. So like I'm, it was like 30 seconds of love. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Can I pray with you guys? Lord, we thank you for another day. We thank you for another hour. We thank you for another moment. And Lord, I pray that we might really learn to have gratitude on that level, to be able to thank you just for this moment, to be able to lean so deeply into our gratitude for being alive, that we need not worry about tomorrow. We need not focus on yesterday. We can just be here. And so, Lord, I ask you that I would decrease as you increase so that your message would come forth. We love you and thank you. Amen. The title of today's message is Dissecting Death. Ooh. Oh. Tommy, where's Tommy at? He was the one person who caught the like deeper analogy in the dissecting death, because you know how a mortician dissects a body? Right? Huh? Huh? Right. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> All of us have heard of the term memento mori. Remember that you must die. See a lot of people with that tattooed, as a matter of fact, when I'm going down the street and things like that. But something that I found equally as interesting as the quote itself is the story that I heard in, in relation to like how it was used back in the Roman times. How when there would be a Roman war hero, and they would go out and go through this massive fight and they would lead their troops to victory. When they would come back to the city, they'd be seen as literally almost a demigod. It's like people would be throwing things at their feet and be chanting and cheering. But the interesting thing was beside the general was a slave. And that slave's sole job as he walked alongside the general was to say to him, you are just a man. Remember that you must die. And so in this depiction, the application of meditating on their death, of remembering that they must die, the application of that was it helped to bring them some humility, to not adopt this obsession with themselves and essentially drink their own Kool-Aid. When we allow ourselves to meditate on death long enough, we realize that death is not just an event. Death is actually life's greatest mystery. And the thing about mysteries is that they're scary. We fear what we don't understand. And that actually relates perfectly to the definition of fear. You know what fear is like, the psychological definition of fear? It's a mechanism that fills in the unknown with the worst case scenario. 
That means if there is some enigma, something you don't know about, something you don't understand, because of its potential threat to you, fear tries to protect you by anticipating the worst thing it could be. That's what fear does. But remember, the title of this sermon is about a section. Let's go a little deeper than that. That's what fear means. So what is the fear of death? If you apply that definition, the fear of death is to interpret life's greatest mystery with the worst possible perspective. To have the greatest mystery of life, death itself, the thing that we think consumes us when it comes, to perceive that construct with the worst possible perspective. No wonder it's so frightening. No wonder it wreaks havoc on our lives. No wonder it is the basis of every single negative emotion we have. Every fear we have derives from the fear of death because of the enormity of that mystery. Our fear of the fears we have in relationships, fears we have about being embarrassed, fears about our finances, all of them derive from the fear of death. And it's even true on all levels of development. You don't even have to be a cognitively mature adult in order to see this play out in our lives. You ever notice when you give a child a toy and you take the toy away from the child, and they act like you just shot them. <laughs> ah, just, just screeching, and you're like, yo, can you relax, bro? Like, you literally got a room full of toys right there. Like, relax. But the reason why this is happening is because that right there is a depiction of something that on the level of us, when we're adults, like, this is an enormous truth that's actually playing out within that child. That when that child gets that toy, when you give them a new toy, and they see it, they love it, they, they're excited with it, they start playing with it, and then they say this key phrase, mine, mine. What is, why, what is that? That child is saying, I identify with this toy. This toy is now part of my identity. And so when you take the toy away after I've identified with it, if they had the ability to speak like we do, they'd be saying, you're taking a part of me. And so it's a representation that there's a death occurring in that child. Or at least they feel it that way. And that's why they cry. Fear of death ruins our lives a lot of times, or at least it ruins our ability to lean into the experience fully. How do we overcome this fear of death then? If this is so foundational, if this is so impactful, how do we overcome it? Well, before we can learn how to transcend a challenge, we first must learn how to become intimate with it. You gotta be close to it. 
Because the scariest opponent is the one you don't understand. And that's why it's something that we really shy away from meditating on death. If you were to go to India, you could see dead bodies. When somebody passes away in America, you sneeze and that body's gone. And if you were to attempt to go to a funeral home or a cemetery to look at one, they would bake erect your butt immediately. We don't allow ourselves to not only meditate on the visual aspect of death, but we don't let ourselves meditate on the concept of it either. We just kind of keep it away. But I'd like for us to be able to engage with it a little bit today. One of the main tools that I'd like to use today to help us dissect is scripture. We're going to start with Psalm 23. I know that I could, oh, that just, that just resonated with somebody. See? <laughs> but I know a lot of times when I come up here, I reference this psalm. And the reason is because there's a value in repetition. We can't just look at things the first time and immediately get it. It's, it's like a mantra, you know what I mean? It's like when you look at mantra, not getting off topic, just something interesting you might value. Mon means mind. Tra means instrument. Mantras are instruments where we can take our mind where we want it to go. And so when we meditate on this psalm, on something that we repeat, it helps us embed its meaning into us. So enough of that. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in the green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We heard death get mentioned in there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. First off, he's walking through a valley. I've never seen a short valley. That, mean, that means that brother was on a journey. You telling me this man went through the whole valley and starts talking to God about it. And he doesn't even mention death. He mentioned the shadow of death. He said, Lord, even though the shadow of death is here, I won't fear because I know you're with me. You know how disrespectful that is? You're telling me this man was in a valley and death was there and he starts talking to God and he don't even mention death. He mentioned death's homeboy. Nah, you don't, that's, that's like somebody coming in your house and you making a meal for this fool and he eats it and you clean up after him and then he leaves and he's talking to your friend a day later and he only mentions that your dog was there. He, he don't even say he came to my house. He said, oh, I came to Lola's house. Lola's my little baby cat. 
I'm like, Lotus House food is my house. That's what's strange about it. And so the question I have is, why is it that the psalmist did not acknowledge the threat of death itself, but rather only its shadow? And the reason why I believe that's the case is because that psalmist was cued into something. The psalmist knew the truest threat to his life. He understood which one, if he allowed it to, really had a grip on him. And so when we think about death, it's like if we can have a visual depiction, it's like death towers over us when we allow that fear to take over. It's like it towers over us and casts a shadow. Can I do a little exercise with you guys? You don't have to, but if you choose to, go ahead and close your eyes. Imagine that you're laying down in a grassland. It's beautiful sun outside. The birds are chirping. You hear the wisp of the leaves on the trees. You're laying down on your back and looking upward. The, the sun is shining. Oh, it's beautiful. You start to feel a little bit tired, so you slowly close your eyes. Have a nice little dream. You wake up, and suddenly you notice that you're laying right under the leaning tower of Pisa. It's prostrate over you. It's this huge, enormous building that is leaning right above you. And you don't notice that it's the leaning tower of Pisa. It just looks like a building getting ready to fall on top of you and its shadow cast over you. In that moment, when you are just waking up to this shocking image, what is the sensation you feel when you think that that building is about to fall on you? Okay. When I think about that, I think about that moment of waking up. You ever woken up in a fright? I mess around and jump out my socks. Like, it's aggressive, you know? But once you came to your senses and realized, oh, wait, I know this building. This actually isn't going to fall on me. Because the thing about it is, the architecture of this building is not designed for it to fall. The architecture of this building is designed so that it might appear that it is falling. And so if I'm under the building, I'm not actually threatened by it. But I'm threatened by my fear of it. Y'all follow me? That's a lot like what death does to us. When we fear it, not realizing the truth of its architecture, takes over. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. Y'all quiet. <laughs> so the intent of this message is not to convince you not to fear death. Because quite frankly, that would be absurd. 
the fear of death is actually an evolutionary adaptation. A plant does not fear death. A mushroom doesn't fear death. But as our brains evolved, the fear that we feel towards our mortality actually helps keeps us alive. It's just as much a physical impulse as it is a psychological construct, which means when we sit here and we talk about the fear of death and we talk about fear and we act as if death or fear is just something we need to get over, stop being afraid. Oh, I'm lacking faith because I feel fear. No, this fear of death was literally embedded in us by evolution because it motivates us to stay alive. So that's not the purpose today. The purpose of this message is simply to motivate us to question our ideas about death, to question the ideas and the beliefs that we have about it, because we might come to realize that we've got no clue what it actually is. And the second intent of this message is to inspire us to be bold in our approach to life, to take this new perspective and bring it forth into our day to day. And so let's address that first intent, questioning our ideas about death. Let's start with the questions. What does it mean to die? Really sit with that. What does that mean to die? What is the experience of dying? Is death synonymous with non-existence? If I die, do I cease to exist? And if I survive death, what will it feel like to be me after it happens? Let's think about that. And let's also use our tool of dissection. Let's examine the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 57. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now there's two meanings that I extract when I look at this verse. The first one being perishable and imperishable. There's a perishable body and an imperishable body. That means there's two identities. There's two bodies. And the second thing I extract is that death can be swallowed. Let's start with the first one. There is two identities, the perishable the perishable body and the imperishable body. That if you are a human being, you by nature have two identities. The perishable, obvious, 
our flesh. What is the imperishable? Is it? I'm not questioning you. I'm just not here to answer nothing. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting and you know, y'all always joke about the fact that I love science and I do and I don't care. But the reason why is because I love how it brings meat to these constructs of faith. When we look at the science, it says that even though we know so much about our body, they cannot identify the physical mechanism that allows us to be conscious. We understand all the complexity of our senses. We understand the fact that ten, only 10% 10 of our vision comes from our eyes. 90% of our vision comes from our brain through a process called the, in, the uh, uh, inverse inference problem, where our brain is literally in a black box and it's trying to predict what's happening in the outside world. So in fact, 90% of our engaging with our senses is really just a prediction. We're predicting what we see outside of us. We can go there, we know all of that. But even with all that intelligence and knowledge, we can't figure out why the hell we alive. What, what are we doing here? We sitting here talking about contemplating death. Really, I can't even contemplate life. Why, why am I here? Why is any of this going on in the first place? And the thing we do know is we don't have enough physicality <laughs> to explain none of it. And so what does that say? That means if we simply operate in materialism, if we simply operate in the first identity, the first identity, the, the perishable body, falls short of showing us what's going on here which means that there has to be another identity, that we are comprised of both identities. But here's the interesting thing. We only know the relationship that one of those identities has with death. We know the relationship between death and the perishable body. But what is the relationship with death and the imperishable body? And we can actually learn that, or rather we can infer about that by looking at the second meaning that we took from the text. Thank you, bro. When we look at that second meaning, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That caught me. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death can be swallowed. Isn't that rather strange? Because we typically tend to think of death as the entity that does the swallowing. We think that death swallows up life. We think that death swallows up, swallows us up. That's why we are so scared of it. But in this biblical depiction, death is the one being swallowed up, as if it's conveying that death is the inferior force here. You ever thought about death's power being inferior to yours? Really, you ever thought about death really, really getting, get, get, 
connected to that experience of thinking about death, of meditating on the fact that you are mortal and that you're going to die, and all of these huge concepts, we relate to dying. But then realize the source of all of that. What if I have power over it? What if it's inferior to me? But you know what? Let me go deeper. <laughs> Maybe it's even bigger than being inferior to you. Let me go deeper. We swallow things up for their nutritional value. What if God even allows death to be a thing in the first place because he actually uses it for our benefit? What if it has value to us? For all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and them who are the called according to his purpose. You know how many times I didn't heard that scripture since I was like five years old? <laughs> My mom's saying that to me every time downstairs trying to play some video games. I'm like, mom, can you stop quoting scripture? And yet now I realize why she was doing that because what she was embedding in me is the realization that either you stand on this truth or you don't. To say that with conviction, that's what she was pouring into me. Say it with conviction. For all things work together for the good. Literally, not just the things that look good, the things that look bad, even the things on the higher level, even death. God's saying even death is working together for your good. Even death is something that is for your benefit. What if death is meant to be my servant? What if it is here and it is often, so oftentimes used to serve me, but because I'm not in connection with my God self, it scares me. But what God, what master is going to call us as children and let his servant run his kids? Are you not my children? Will I not use my servant to have them serve you? Will they not prepare you a plate in the same way that they prepare me one? This only makes sense. You know what? I genuinely believe maybe that's why God had Jesus climb up on that cross and die in public view. Maybe he had him do that because he was trying to say to us, listen, I need y'all to see this. I need, yeah, oh, y'all mess around and, you know, trying to gamble for his clothes and everything. That's cool. I'll deal with that later. But come on up here. I need you to see the king that I placed on the earth. I need you to see him die. Because I need you to understand that death is something that I use, that you think that death is your enemy. You don't realize I'm using death to serve you. There's some deaths that you are afraid to let happen. There's some people, there's some behaviors in your life, there's some ways of thinking, and you're afraid to let them die because you're so attached to that entity. You're so attached to that way of being. But God is saying, some stuff you need to let die. Let that thing die and watch me resurrect it up for you. Watch, watch the life that I bring out of that death. There's some transmutation I need to happen. I need to take that and turn it into something better and use it for you. But I can't do it unless you put it in my hand.
Because when you let it die, that is the deepest form of surrender. Letting it die isn't saying I don't care about it. Letting it die is saying, Lord, I trust you so much, I'm going to give you my treasure. Even if it's foolish treasure, the fact that I'm attached to it is still my treasure. And I got to let it die. I got to let it die. Because watch what happens if you let it sit in that tomb. When you come back and you roll that rock away to look and see the thing that I let die, it's not going to be there because it's going to come in new form and stand in front of you and say, why are you crying? Sorry, I'm preaching to myself right now, so, you know. Because <laughs> mm. we could talk this stuff all day, but we got to live it. We got to live it. It doesn't matter to contemplate death and all these, man. This scholastic stuff don't mean nothing. It don't matter how many books I read if I ain't living it. So we, 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 gotta, we gotta let it internalize. And so something else that we can take from this is, so often we hear the voice of God beckoning us to open our hands and let something go to let it die psychologically. Because you see, physical death is one type of death. And for a lot of people, myself included, physical death is not the scariest type of death. That's not the one that really bothers me when I think about dying in this physical body. It's like, okay, yeah, I might have a physical you know, sensation or reaction or impulse, but it, it's, it's not something I spend too much time about. I'm like, I don't know when that thing's gonna happen. And billions of people have died before me. As a matter of fact, probably, there's definitely more people that have died than people that are alive. <laughs> so that's fine. But the part that messed with me though, is that psychological death. That there's concepts and ideas and narratives that are embedded in me, that they're meaningful. You ever been so accustomed to just a way of doing things? And you gotta change your ways. You, we talk about becoming a new person. How many people you seen, they talk about, oh, I wanna do this and I wanna do that and I wanna change my life around and da da da. And it's not even that they don't try. They make the effort to try. They make the effort to change. But then they end up finding their ways back to their patterns. A lot of times, because when we start stepping out of our patterns, when we start stepping out of our ways of being, even if they were toxic, we start to feel like not ourselves. We start feeling strange in new domains, like, you go into a new place, go fly somewhere that you ain't never been with nobody that you know. Just go out there by yourself and start changing your behaviors, change up your routine, change up everything. You'd be like, I, I, feel, I don't feel like myself. Because there's things that we're using mentally to define ourselves. The things you do on a day-to-day, -day, the 
places you go, the people you interact with, that's what makes you feel like you. So when you start to change, if you start to go in a different path, it can literally feel like the old you is dying. So even if it's good for you, it can be painful. You with me? And so there's a reason why the holiest event in the biblical representation begins with a death. Because of how foundational that concept is into our lives. But if I could step back to that statement I made earlier, that when God tells you to let something die, if God is beckoning you to respond in that way, rejoice. Rejoice about that because we fear when deaths happen, whether they be physical or psychological. But rejoice when God is telling you to do that because it means that God wants to breathe new life into your life. That you gotta let his servant do its job. You know, you ever, man, I was really trying to stay out this science stuff, man. Y'all ever realize, first of all, law of conservation of matter says that death, that, excuse me, that energy, that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. That means in order for your body to be here, in order for you to be you, you made up a dead stuff. The energy of things that have died <laughs> transmuted into the body that you now have. So the energy that your body is comprised of, everything here is made of stuff that passed away. That this universe was created through colliding and dying stars and galaxies. That death, what, is, what am I saying with this? Death is the birthplace of new living. So that death that we're seeing as a frightening thing is actually something that God uses to say, no, death isn't just the ending of life. It's the newness. It's the newness. I'm bringing newness that I want to transmute that into something different. <laughs> so we are the walking embodiment that death is not final. We are the awareness that not only does it not have power over us, but if we learn to lean into our connection with God, if we can get intimate with God, if we can really get in touch with that imperishable, it helps us to leverage death for our good that we can look at this world and not just see the world as full of life and then death is this terrible thing that takes away stuff we love. The world is full of life and death is serving it in the background. That's how it stays fresh. You gotta keep stuff fresh, you can't just keep leaving the same vegetables in there for three weeks. You go in your fridge, that thing gonna be smelling funny. 
That body you got, even your own body needs to stay fresh. And I'm not talking about taking a shower. 97% of your cells are replaced by brand new ones every single year. That means by the time you get to this time next year, you don't have the same body. Those cells got to die off in order to refresh. Death, talking about dissecting it and finding a new perspective for death, death is the greatest mechanism of newness that God uses to create in this world. It is his mechanism of newness. And so how can it change our approach to life when we reimagine death in this way? That I've had such a fear of death and I know that I'm not, un unless I enlighten, you know what I'm saying? Unless I bust an Eckhart Tolle and be like, oh, I'm chilling, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> unless we do that, that fear of death is here, but what can we do when we adopt this new perspective? That we are not, we are not a victim to it. That we are not enslaved by it. I want to answer that by one more scripture. It's the second Corinthians. Thank you, bro. So is it with the, with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. When I can step into life with an awareness that God already conquered death, that death is something, I, I have already inherited the victory over it. That means that whatever dishonor I feel right now, when I reflect on myself, when I reflect on my past history, when I reflect on my failures, when I reflect on the parts of me that don't nobody know because it's way in the back of the closet, and that's the stuff, if I let some of my closest friends find that out, maybe they won't love me anymore. Like that, y'all ain't real. Like that spot, when you really get there and you understand that death is the mechanism of new life that God uses, we realize that what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. That whatever is unwanted, whatever I, I don't want to be anymore, that I can change, I can be raised up, I can be a new thing. God said, I'm doing a new thing in you. And in God's perception, death don't even exist. All that's happening is life and new life. It's just life and new life. And he's looking at you and he's saying, what? I, <laughs> didn't I tell you that I came to give you life? <laughs> I came to give you new life. 
I came to give you abundant life. And guess what? I came to do that joint yesterday, and I came back to do that joint again. All I'm doing is refreshing you. And so, what? oh, you got a little something stinking? Don't, don't worry. I'm the God of refreshment. I can take that with me, and it awakens your boldness and your willingness to, to walk through this world and do things and live your dreams. You can walk through this world and live your dreams because my perception of myself is clean. I can love me. I can love me in spite of me and I can love me because of me. Not only because death doesn't have dominion over me, but because death is actually the proof that there's a mechanism here to restore me and to restore me continually. And guess what? Now I can start using death. I can die any moment I want to. Y'all better be careful. All that, all that nonsense you see in me, don't come back here tomorrow and expect to still see it. Because I trust God that he can restore me in a moment. I got that type of faith. I can make a decision. Lord, make me a new thing. Now. Not six years. Now. I want to be used by you. I, now. Can you tap in now? God, use me now. Change me now. That's what we can do. That's how we can approach our lives anew. And so I just want to say, when you guys leave here today, this isn't about a message. This isn't about a construct. This isn't about anything but God speaking to you about really going deeper in your life. This is simply an invitation to go deeper, to realize that death is a reminder of the sacredness of this moment. We really might not be here tomorrow. Am I loving to my fullest? If my life is a book, can I maximize this page? Can I maximize this paragraph? Can I maximize this sentence? Can I squeeze out everything I can get out of it? Because I don't need to fear. I already got victory. So I might as well make the best out of it while I'm here. Thank you. We love you, Hartway. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.